And we're going to be looking at, what I try to do is I try to look at what I have preached over the course of my time here. That's 23 years. I've got all my messages. I can tell you what books we've covered, what books we haven't, and that kind of thing. And I like from time to time to look at passages and uh, books of the Bible that we've not covered. And so this morning, I realized, or this a couple weeks ago, I started to realize I've never really covered any of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Now, uh, so my choices are like Job, uh, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, uh, all books that you're very familiar with. Uh, because you read them all the time. Uh, and I, I, again, I like to cover the whole Bible. So this morning, here's where we're going to start. I'm going to tackle the book of Ecclesiastes. All right? Now, uh, interesting. It's, it's going to take us about three, four months to get through the book. All right? So uh, you're going to have to kind of bear with me. Um, Job is one of the wisdom literature books that addresses pain and suffering. Song of Solomon de- deals with beauty and love. Um, uh, Proverbs, practical life kind of stuff. Um, Ecclesiastes deals with this incredible concept of what's the meaning of life. Uh, Some have said it's interesting. uh, Genesis starts with where did I come from? Ecclesiastes starts with what's the meaning of life? And and Revelation talks about the idea of where am I going? Kind of the three core questions that any person asks. So we're going to head into this book. This book is written by Solomon. Um, Solomon has written a couple of other books in the Bible. He's written three. Uh, he is the writer of Song of Solomon, uh, sometimes referred to in your Bible maybe as Song of Psalms. Uh, Proverbs, many of the Proverbs were written by Solomon. So again, very practical, uh, applicable kind of thing. And then the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, um, this is an interesting book, all right, Uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, What Solomon is going to do is Solomon is going to look at this idea of life. Some have called this the, the, uh, they've called Solomon, really it's the story of the prodigal son in the Old Testament. Um, I like what one writer wrote. One writer called it this. He said, this is the inspired book of error. Because what you see in the book of Ecclesiastes is life from man's perspective. Um, it's unique. It's, there, there are a lot of unique things about this book okay, um, that, that we come to. Uh, one of the ideas you're going to see is this idea of, in the Hebrew it's called Hebel. It, it, here's the idea. It's translated in your Bibles, depending on your version, um, meaningless. Um, it's translated vanity. Uh, when you dig into it, it's a word that's used about 38 times in, in, in Ecclesiastes. It's used 35 times outside of Ecclesiastes. Uh, 13 times it's referring to idols. Uh, it has this idea of, and I think meaningless is kind of a poor translation of it. Um, it, it has this idea of vapor or absurd or uh, not a lot of value, something hard to kind of be grasped at. Uh, that's kind of the idea, and you're going to see it a lot in this book, like, say, 38 times in 12 chapters. Another phrase you're going to see, and it's the only time you find it in the Old Testament, is under the sun. Um, That's another phrase that you're going to see. Uh, That's 29 times it's mentioned. It's the only book in the Old Testament in which the phrase occurs. So it's unique to Ecclesiastes. Um, Under the sun has this idea, life here. Life on this planet. Now, this is really important that you understand this. Because this book is about 
What does life look like without God? What does life look like just here? Not, not about, it's not about eternity. It's not about past. It's not, in other words, look at life from this world's view. And that's what the book's about. So Solomon is going to talk about what does life look like here? And how does that impact us? Another interesting thing you're going to see is you're going to see God mentioned in this book, but here's what you're going to notice. Here's what's unique about it. The word used for God is the word Elohim. That has the idea of creator. The personal name for God is Yahweh or Jehovah. Never used in this book. So throughout this book, anytime God is mentioned, there is not this personal kind of God. It's this distant creator kind of God. And, and that's important for us to understand because, again, he's looking at life in this world without a personal idea with God, without a personal connection to God. What does that look like? And, and what is it all about? And what can we learn from it? I'm amazed at the number of, of, of people that I read that said this is one of their favorite books. So I started to dig into it. The more I start to read, the more I start to learn, the more I'm going, this is going to be fun. This is just going to be a hoot. So... Um, here we go, uh, verses right at the beginning. The words of the teacher, and that's a familiar phrase. Some of your Bibles are going to say preacher. It's the idea of a debater. It's the idea of assembler, a lecturer. It's, it's the idea of somebody who's in a position to convey information to you. Okay, And he says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Here, here's our Hebel word. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Here's what he's saying. Everything in your life doesn't matter. Kids, don't matter. Job, doesn't matter. What you own, doesn't matter. What your job is, doesn't matter. It adds up to a great big fat zero. Welcome to life under the sun. What Solomon's going to say. Now, again, this is the wisest guy in the world. Next to Jesus Christ, there is no one that has ever stepped onto this planet that is smarter than this guy. No one. And he says, here's what you need to know. Life, zero. Life here, absolutely worthless. Um, and he's going to spend 12 chapters proving this to us. Twelve chapters he's going to take. He's going to go, okay, let's look at everything in life. Zero, 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 zero. Worthless. Oh, chasing a win. Up, oh, meaningless. Up, oh, wasting your time. So he starts off right off the bat. Here's what he says. Listen, verse 3. Uh, he starts in and he says, uh, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? There's a phrase. So he says, what do you get out of work? Now, it's a rhetorical question. Because he's just told you, what are you going to get out of work? Nothing. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun sets and rises and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place where the streams come, yet they return again. Here's what he says. Life is like a treadmill. 
boom, 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 boom. And at the end, what have you, what, how far have you gone? Nowhere. <laughs> you step off the treadmill to the same place that you stepped onto the treadmill. And if you're Solomon, what have you accomplished on the treadmill? Zero. Because all of life is meaningless. Everything. Some of you are going, that's my new mantra for the year. Exercises. But no, 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 don't go there. But life under the sun? Yes. Taking care of yourself? Meaningless. Eating yourself into oblivion? Meaningless. Going to work tomorrow? Meaningless. Going home? Going home. Hey, guys, you're going to love this. Going home and fixing all those honey to-do lists? Meaningless. You know, um, that's what Solomon's saying. He's going, look. And he brings out this point. This is is what's great. He brings out this point because he says, look, it's opposite of what you think. You would think that humans were permanent and nature was temporary. That's what you would think. But Solomon says, on this planet, it's just the opposite. He said, generations come and generations go. He said, people are born, people are die. And that ends it. But he said, nature, nature is something that's this continual revolving kind of thing. He said, you get up on the morning, the sun's in the east. You go to bed at night, the sun's in the west. And when you get up the next day, where's the sun? It's in the east again. And he said, every day you can just plan on east, west, east, west, east. He said, it just goes round and round. We know it doesn't, but it goes round and round and round. He said, the wind, it comes from the east, it comes from the west, it comes from the north, it comes from the south. All you got to do is shovel snow. And wherever you pile it, it will blow a different direction the next day. The drifts will be in a different place. Why? Because that's what the wind does. It just kind of keeps going. And he said, water? He said, look. He said, you'd think all the water melts in the mountains, comes down the streams, ends up in the ocean. You'd think the ocean would get full. But it doesn't. Why? Because it evaporates up into the sky. It snows in the mountains. It melts. It goes down the stream. The ocean doesn't fill up. It all happens again. It goes, whoa, one more big roundabout. And he said, you know what your life's like? Meaningless. Temporary. Generations go, generations come. Oh, but the wind, it keeps going and going and going and going and going. The sun, it keeps going and going and going and going and going. The evaporation, it keeps going and going and going and going. You, come and go. So he says. That's life under the sun. Then he goes on. Um, this is, I, I hope you're getting encouraged. Um <laughs> He says, all things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. Um, He says, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of of hearing. Um, uh Uh-oh, i got to see what I'm keep cutting off there. Um, Go, what has been, um, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it right here. i got it in my notes. Um, uh, There's been nothing, uh, let's see. The eye has never had enough hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there, any which, uh, is there anything of which you can say, look, there's something new? It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old. Even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. 
He says, look, he said, we have this desire for new stuff. Think about it for a minute. Remember the last new thing you got that you got excited about? You know, talk to any kid. I'm getting the new phone, whatever it is. I'm getting the new iPhone. After a couple of days, another new phone comes out. And then they want that one. And you're all excited. Kids, major, major emphasis here. Let me tell you what that phone does. It answers calls. Oh, no, 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 it can do all these other things. Yeah, but the basic purpose of a phone is for me to call you and you to call me. That's why we call it a phone. That's the basic purpose of a phone. But yet, what? And, and we're like, oh, no, no, you know, here's what Solomon is saying. There is nothing new. Everything's old. And yet we get excited about new stuff. You go, no, no, no. You know, they had technology today that they didn't have then. Yeah, and you know what? They did things back then. We still, with all our technology, can't figure out how they did. We still can't figure out the pyramid thing. You know, I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen the walls underneath the city thing. And, and when you can't walk up and put a piece of paper between a 10 or 15 or 20 ton boulder that's been cut, to fit and brought in and put and go into a piece of paper. We, we were like, well, we, we got no clue how they did it. All Solomon says, look, there's nothing new. Everything's old. When you think it's something new, what you find out is it's just to rehash something old. You don't believe me? Parents, never get rid of your old clothes. You want to know where most of these kids shop now? You want to know where the, one of the hottest things they shop is? Goodwill. You know what they're buying? Stuff we threw out 30 years ago. You look at the jeans they go and sell right now in the stores. And they got the paint and the tears and the patch. And I'm like, look, I am not buying a pair of jeans like that. If I wear a pair of jeans like that, it's because I've earned every tear. I have caused every bleach mark. I have caused all that stuff. Why? And that's what Solomon says. He said, you got to realize. He said, hey, look, you know, I, I, I joked to my wife yesterday. I got to. I've started this thing now where I'm drinking like a cup of coffee in the morning, which is normal, but then I drink one about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I got a cup of coffee yesterday at 4 o'clock. My wife walked in the living room. I went, Keurig has changed my life. I said, it's so awesome. I love my Keurig, which is my coffee maker thing. And then I got to think about this morning. You know what? People have been drinking coffee for a long time. It, all they did was change the way coffee is made. You know, I don't have to go make a fire and crush the beans and make and, and stew it in a pot anymore. I go over and pick one out, one of the little fancy pods, and put it in and punch a button. You know, I don't have to put it on the stove. Remember when you had to make coffee on the stove in those little pots? And then percolators came out. Wow. And then we had a percolator you could plug in. Remember those? The little glass thing, and it would bubble up. Kids are looking at me going, what? You mean there was no Starbucks? No, there wasn't. Um, you know, and, and, and then, then we had the coffee makers come out. Now it's the Keurig thing. And you know what? Down the line, it'll be something else. Nothing's new. And you know, here's the thing. Have you learned this about new stuff yet? It gets old really fast. Remember when you bought the new car? Yeah, some of you are going, no, I've never owned a new car. Yeah, I know. Okay. 
I, I can relate to that too. But I mean, you know, um, I have bought a new car once in a while. Two, I think we've had two now. But when you buy a new car, remember how, you know, you, you know how everything's like, for, you spend like a week learning all the buttons and what it does and how it, how it and you're like, oh, oh, I got a new car, I got a new car, I got a new car. Now, how long does it take for it to, you know, um, you know, I, I really, I mean, you know, you know, all that new stuff, you know, I got a new tool the other day, two days ago, it's already old. I used it one time, I'm like, okay, you know what it does? It just does what I did other what I did before a little easier. So it does, and that's what Solomon says. He says, "Look," he said, and, "and look at this. Let me give you some real encouragement here. There is no remembrance of men of old. You know what he's saying? Down the line, nobody's going to remember you. Boop. Want me to prove it to you? You know the name of your great 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 grandfather." Go back six, seven generations. You know their name? Why? We forget. And he said, in fact, he said, let me give you some real encouragement. Those who are yet to come, they won't be remembered by those who follow. So all these little kids that are running around here that we think are so great, everybody's going to forget them. That's life under the sun. You exist on this planet, and then you don't. That's it. So all that stuff that you're working for right now, zip, zero, meaningless, worthless, wasting your time, that's life under the sun here. And then he goes on. If this is not encouraging enough, here's what he says. He said, all this stuff that you're doing, he said, let me tell you about my life. He goes on to say this. He said, um, I, the teacher, was king over Israel. I devoted myself to study, to explore by all wisdom that is under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. He said, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted can't be straightened. What is lacking can't be counted. He said, said, you know what? He said, here's what I've realized. Life is all messed up, and to spend any time trying to straighten it all out is worthless. He said. In essence, as one Bible scholar said, crooked man can't fix a crooked world. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of the wisdom and knowledge. I then applied myself to understanding of wisdom. And I also have the madness and folly, and I learned this too is chasing after the wind. And then this is, the, this is by the way, this should be the life verse of any high school or college student. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I like what one Bible scholar said. He said, maybe one of the reasons Jesus was a man of sorrow, acquainted with much grief, is because he was the wisest person in the world. He understood everything. Here's what he said. He said, I went out and pursued it all. You know what I learned? Like chasing the wind. I went out. I did everything there is humanly possible to do. Now, so you understand this guy. Let me give you Solomon's qualifications when he writes this book. A lot of people believe that Solomon wrote Song of Solomon in the early part of his life. He wrote Proverbs in the middle part of his life, and he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. 
Here's what this guy had accomplished at the end of his life. Um, he had written over 3,000 Proverbs. He had written over 1,000 songs. He had written three of the books of the Bible. He um, had reigned over Jerusalem as king for 40 years, and in 40 years it was a time of peace and prosperity with no wars, no battles, no struggles. As he is the perfect king. We know that early in his life, God said, I'll grant you one thing, and he asked for wisdom. And God granted him wisdom. We know that he built the temple, Solomon's temple, one of the greatest buildings ever in seven years. He built his palace in 13 years. Some of the ancient wonders of the world were built by him. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, at this point, we question wisdom. Um, I like what one guy said. He said, you have to realize that Solomon could have eaten breakfast, lunch, and supper with a different person every day for an entire year. A different, a different wife or concubine every now. Before you get all bent out of shape on this, I'm not excusing his, what he did, but you need to understand it. See, in that world, that was a way to keep the peace and prosperity. See, let's say that, that I'm king of Iowa, okay, all right, and my wife's dad is king of Virginia. Well, if I go to him and say, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. Now, do you think Iowa and Virginia are ever going to go to war against each other? No, because his daughter's living in Iowa, and I'm not going to go attack my father-in-law. So consequently, what would happen is by marrying all these people, he ended up with all of these political connections. So it was almost like no country could attack him because he probably had one of his wives from those countries. So therefore, everybody got along, and he's the richest guy in the world. So come on, you know, he pretty much gets what he wants. And nobody wants to fight him. No one wants to go against him. His army is massive. His wealth is, you know, he can write a check for whatever battle he wants to have. So the guy's kind of got it made. And this is a guy who says, you know what? Here's what I did. I pursued it all. And here's my conclusion. Life under the sun is worthless. It's chasing the wind. It's like grabbing a vapor. Does, everything you're doing is just like spinning your wheels. Okay? There's an interesting thing, and I don't know if this is true or not. You have to understand, we have writings from, from a lot of these times. And the Jewish writers, what they would do is they had a thing called, uh, they were called targums. And what, what, what that was, was it was a, it was a collection of writings that, that usually Jewish rabbis would make about either a, a Bible event or a historical event, and they would write this out, and it kind of became a way of teaching. It was kind of an oral tradition that Jews would pass down. They have one about Solomon, and I don't know if it's true or not, but here's what it says. It says, When King Solomon was sitting upon the throne of his kingdom, his heart became greatly elated with riches. He transgressed the commandment of the word of God. He gathered many houses, chariots, riders. He matched much gold and silver. He married wives from foreign nations, whereupon the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And sent him to Ashmodai, the king of the demons, and he drove him to the throne of his kingdom, and he took the ring from his hand in order that he should roam and wander about in the world to reprove it. And he went about the providential towns and cities in the land of Israel, weeping and lamenting, saying, I am Coleth, whose name was formerly called Solomon, who was king over Jerusalem. 
Jewish oral tradition says that, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but it says that basically he came to the end of his life and after pursuing all of this stuff, had lost it all and repented of it. Oh, that's true or not. I think it's an interesting sidelight to this. But he writes this book, Ecclesiastes, and he says, look, I'm going to talk about my journey, and he's going to talk about what he learned in, in this process. But at the beginning of this book, he basically says, let me give you the big summary. Life in this world, life under the sun on this world, you're wasting your time, you're spinning your wheels. Now, you go, <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm excited to go to work tomorrow now. Um, I'm excited to go home. I'm excited to live my life. No, no, no. Here's what you need to understand. I'm going to fast forward to the end of the book because we're going to deal with this every single week too. Here's what he says at the end of the book. You want to hear a conclusion or everything? Fear God and keep his commandments. Here's what Solomon says, and this is what I want us to spend, and this is where we're going to be heading so you understand it as we look at these. If you want to talk about life here, it's meaningless. If you want to talk about life here with God at the center, that's a different ballgame. And that's ultimately what Solomon's going to argue. And I think it's a great lesson for us as we're going to go through it because it's going to remind us of these issues that we are so frustrated about. Because if you look at life on this plane alone, it's incredibly depressing. The fact that three, four hundred years from now, nobody's going to even know you were on this planet. The fact that all of that stuff that you're accumulating right now is going to rot in some pile in some junkyard. I mean, life here, folks, if this is what you're living for, Go get on a treadmill. You know, go, go, I mean, you know, go chase the wind. Because that's, 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 that's it here. That's it here. That's where this life ends here. On the other hand, put God in the center of it, and it all changes. That's why it's so important to understand when Jesus came, one of the things that he said is, I am come that you may have life, and that you might have it abundantly. Here's what Jesus was saying. I am come so that life here under the sun has purpose and meaning. I'm come so that not only can you have eternal life in the world to come, but you can have a valuable, rich, full life here with me at the center of it. And so the challenge for us as we go through this series, and the challenge and what I want you to start thinking about today is, is God at the center of what you're being frustrated about with life right now? And I would argue that one of the reasons you're probably frustrated is because you have tacked God onto it. God's not at the center of it. I would argue that the reason maybe, again, think about it for a minute. If your job, if the focus of you going to work tomorrow is to get money, it's worthless. Oh, no, you don't understand. I can buy some really cool things. Yeah, and they're going to rot, and they're going to decay, and they're going to rust. It's worthless. How excited can you get about just accumulating more stuff? You're like, oh, I like accumulating stuff. It's stuff. It's, it's going away one day. It's gone. 
How excited can you get about, oh, great, you know, I got a bigger yield this year than I did last year. Hurrah! Yay! And what's your goal next year? To get a bigger yield. And you get a bigger yield. And you go, hey, hurrah, hurrah, yay, yay, yay. Good, yeah, you got a bigger yield. And then the next year, I got a bigger yield, yay! And then they start handing you plaques. It's like, yay! Now you got other people clapping for you. Yay! And 200 years from now? Kids, I'm going to blow your minds here. I grew up in a generation where when you got a trophy, you actually earned it for something. Hey, I couldn't tell you where any of those trophies are right now. Couldn't tell you where any of the plaques are. You know, probably at my mom's house somewhere hung on a wall in a shrine to me. I mean, I, you know, but I mean, as far as me carrying them from place to place to place to, no. You know why? It don't matter now. You know, I mean, are you really impressed with my high school plaque? You know, I mean, I can put them like on the, on the wall up here, you know. You don't care. And, and that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, folks, you need to understand. If you're doing it for any reason outside of God at the center of it, it's like chasing wind. And that's why some of you are so frustrated. We're raising, you know, and again, bring God into the center. Of it. And this is what we're going to be talking about. What happens if you bring God into your job tomorrow? And instead of just going to work to get a paycheck, you go in tomorrow to say, okay, God, look, this is the job you've given me. This is the place that, that you have for me. What can I do here to make a difference in the kingdom? You know, who can I encourage today? Who can I help today? Now it's, not, now it's about so much more than just a paycheck. It's about something that has an eternal value to it now. Um, think about it for a minute. So many of you, you get frustrated with your job, and your issue is, you know, oh, I got to quit, I got to quit, I got to find another job, I got to find another job. Here's a better question Does God want you to find another job? Bring God into the center of it. Oh, you know, I'm so frustrated with money, 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 money. Why? Why? Because your goal is to accumulate, accumulate, so that at some point in your life, here's your ultimate goal you can retire and you can put all of your trust and all of your confidence in that amount. Now, let me ask you something, just out of curiosity. If you're the God of the universe who's invested in your life and you want what's best for you and you know that one of your children is banking all of their security and all of their confidence in a dollar amount and you're the God of the universe who wants a relationship with them, what are you probably going to do? Is this good? You see where I'm coming from this? You've got to bring God back into the center of, of what it is you're struggling with. Parents, you know, oh, my goal, my goal is, is a happy family, a happy family. Every time everybody's together, it's a family. I want everybody happy. If you don't think kids figure out how to manipulate that to their advantage, you need to step back and say, what does God want you to do with your children? And God may be impressive on your heart to tell them no. And to worry less about their happiness and more about their character. Okay, now we're going to really tick picky. Um, I've stepped into the world of grandparenting now. Okay? I know what kind of grandparent I want to be. That's not the question. The question is, what kind of grandparent does God want me to be? 
What's my role as a grandparent according to the Bible? Not according to what I want to do for my grandchild. What kind of in-law am I supposed to be to my daughters now? Not what kind do I want to be, because they know what kind I want to be. I want to, when it comes Christmas, forget the boys and do everything for the girls. That's what I want to do. You know? That's why my wife's like, you know, are we buying anything for the boys this year? Oh, yeah, that's right. We have two boys. Um, You know? Um, you know, but I mean, honestly, it's like, oh, wait, 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 what kind of in-law does God want me to be? What kind of employer, those of you who have businesses? What kind of employee, those of you who go to work? What kind of person does God want you to be when you're checking out at that cashier line? Or you're at that restaurant talking to that waiter or waitress? God at the center of it. Now, all of a sudden, all of those things... Talk, go way past life under the sun here. And what, I, what, I'm, what I'm worried about, what I'm concerned about, is that as believers, we've gotten sucked into this world system and we put our safety and our security and everything else in life under the sun here. And so it's going to be a great reminder every week of us with us that, you know what? If we're living for this world, we're chasing wind. And my challenge for you is to start looking through your life, every aspect of your life. It's not about what kind of car do you want to buy. It's what kind of car does God want you to buy. You ever thought about that? Okay, God. Let's pray through the options that are available on this unit. Now, this is where God speaks to you differently. God has not impressed upon my heart the need for seat warmers. However, in my wife's God, God has really impressed upon her that that is a necessity, not a luxury. And so I'm torn between, okay, I think God speaks more to her than he does to me, so I'll go with her on this one. Because um, I don't care. But I mean, really, you go, that's silly, that's silly. No, 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 wait a minute. Are we to bring God into every decision we make and everything we do or not? Or do we just tack him on when it's convenient? And this is what Solomon's saying. If you're just going to tack him on, it's life under the sun. It's worthless. But if you put him at the center of it, it makes all the difference in the world. Those of you kids, it's not about where you want to go to school and about what you want to do. It's about what does God want you to do. Not about what career you want to pursue. It's about what career God wants you to pursue. The reason Mike and Susanna hit a nerve for a lot of you last week because you looked at a young family with two young children who had wrestled with that very question. What does God want us to do? And they had basically said, God, here's a blank check. You just fill in where we're supposed to go. And many of you struggle and you go, I can't believe that they would take those little kids. Wait, 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 wait. It's not about what they want. It's about what God wants for them. And that's the struggle. And Bob and Deb will tell you, that's the struggle. I pray. I want the best for my kids. I want them to be in the center of what God wants. So if God's going to call them there, that impacts us too. And we got to decide, when we dedicated them to the Lord, did we really dedicate them to the Lord, or did we just go through the motions?
That's what it's about. And so I just want to challenge you because that's where we're going with this series. We're going with this series of really sitting down and wrestling with is God at the center of all this stuff. So I end it with this. May you start to see life with God at the center. Without God, everything you're doing is useless. Useless. You're simply running on a treadmill of life and you'll soon be forgotten. But Jesus came so that you could have a life under the sun here that results in others having a life with the sun for all of eternity.